Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. It's good to be back with you. Last week I was sick and unable to be here and I felt bad because I had to put Kirk on the spot and he had to do all the preaching and teach his Bible class and do the lesson at the nursing home for the second month in a row. Um, last time he was actually supposed to do the lesson at the nursing home. This time I was supposed to and I was unable to do it. So um, I was able to tune in on the live stream and so I was able to follow along and then it was the first time I think I've heard Kirk actually preach a sermon. Um, but he did a great job filling in for me and I'm appreciative of, of him doing that. Uh, next week he'll again have to preach for me because I will be in a gospel meeting with the Sharpsville congregation. I've been asked to lead singing. Uh, maybe the last time they have a gospel meeting they've gotten low in number and, and they're really struggling as a congregation. Um, but anyway, I plan to be with them next week, Lord willing. But this morning, uh, this is one of the very rare times to actually do a lesson outside of a series for the month, but I felt since I was going to miss two out of the five Sundays, it would be kind of pointless to do any kind of series. Uh, so I chose a, a one-off lesson. Today's lesson is Standing on the Promises of God, and it's based on the song that we sing you know, we often sing of God's promises, and there are many songs about God's promises. We sing about what He has promised us. We sing about how He has kept His promises. And we sing about how they have affected us as Christians, making our faith in Him stronger than ever before. When we stand on the promises, it's a, a song about building our faith and standing on those things that God has told us. And those things are important. It's important for us as Christians to do that. To stand on the promises of God. And so that's what our, our lesson is going to concentrate on. Our lesson objectives for this morning are, first of all, to examine some of the promises that God has made and kept. And also to examine promises that have not yet come to pass. And ultimately to strengthen our faith in the promises of God. We begin with promises made and kept. And for our visitors, if you have a bulletin, uh, we do have the sermon notes in there. And you can follow along with us if you'd like. But promises made and kept. I want to look at the very first promise that we really read about in Genesis chapter 6. We'll begin our lesson here. The destruction of the world. Because of the wickedness of man, God planned and promised to destroy everything with the breath of life. Man, animals, birds. Uh, God would cleanse the earth of all of these things. In Genesis 6, beginning with verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God made the promise to destroy all the living creatures, and in particularly man, because man had become so wicked, so evil, so, so bad to the point that, that every intent of his heart, it says, was only evil. And God kept his promise making Noah and his family the only exceptions. We read in Genesis 7 and beginning with verse 7. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark of Noah, to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth in the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. Verse 13, on the very same day Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. After the flood, God made another promise to never destroy the earth by flood again as he had in Genesis 8, beginning with verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat winter and summer and day and night shall not cease Of floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, and other natural disasters still occur. The entirety of creation has not been destroyed as it was in the day of Noah. We can count on seasons changing and time continuing to progress, and we can count on our own aging as long as life continues 
We know, however, that our time on earth is not forever. And we can prepare ourselves and others for its end. Obviously, this is not the only promise that was ever made in Scripture by God. We also read of God's promises to Abraham, picking up with Genesis chapter 12 and beginning with verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham could count on God to care for him and his family. Should they do as he wished. God made Abraham a great nation as he had promised through the birth of his son Isaac. We read of this promise in Genesis 15 beginning with verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. One of the most memorable preschool classes I've ever taught. I remember during a VBS or something we were studying the story of Abraham and, and uh, it was nighttime, so I took the kids outside and uh, so we went outside and we looked up at the sky and, and I asked them to count the stars. They started counting them and of course they didn't get very far and, and they realized that they couldn't count them. And I said, now that's how many the descendants of Abraham were to be. In Genesis 18, in verse 10, And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. That was the promise that was made to Abraham. And we read of its fulfillment in Genesis 21 beginning with verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. This was something that was impossible with man, and yet God kept his promise to Abraham. We read further of the faith of Abraham in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Because God had been faithful to his promises in the past, Abraham could trust the promises of tomorrow. And we read in verses 17 through 19 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. And why would he do this? Why would he offer his son as a sacrifice? This was the son of promise. This was the son through which all these descendants were promised. And, and now he was told to sacrifice them. Why would he do that? Notice what is said in verse 19. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. God had been faithful to him before. God would find a way. God would know a way to spare the life of his son or to bring him back to life, one or the other. Abraham had been promised that through his seed Isaac, a great nation of people would be formed. And trusting, <coughs> excuse me, trusting in the promises previously made, Abraham knew that God would somehow bring these things to fruition through Isaac. Even though he had commanded him to sacrifice Isaac, God would keep his promises. Abraham trusted him. And so when he was tested, he was willing 
to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. These are obviously not the only promises that were ever made in Scripture. Another promise that we see that is given is the promise of Christ. The promise of the coming of the Son of God. It goes all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That was the first time that we read of the coming Christ. We read also in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It was promised that the Son of God would come into this world. And as we read in the New Testament, that promise was fulfilled. He was born to Mary and to Joseph. In Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse, verse 8, and reading through verse 11, Luke 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The promise was fulfilled. Jesus came to this world. He was born of a virgin. God was faithful to His promise to send His Son into the world. And we know the purpose we know the purpose of Christ's coming that, that he, he came to to bear the sins of the world. And there are many who will reject Him, but He came to bear the sins of all people. He bore those sins on a cross. He died on that cross. He was offered as a, the perfect sacrifice. Sinless though He was, and yet He was offered as a sacrifice for our sin. He came to offer us salvation. He came to offer us cleansing. He came to offer us hope. Hope of something better at the end of this life. And that kind of leads us into our final point for today. There are certain promises 
that have been made that are not yet fulfilled. Let's examine some of those promises together. First of all, we understand that we are promised the return of Christ. Jesus Himself promised that He would return before His departure. In John 14, verses 1 through 4, He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Over and over again He had told the disciples that He must leave, but let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. After he was ascended into the heavens in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, we read this. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you, from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Why are you standing here? Why are you looking into heaven? We talked about this in one of our Bible classes recently. Basically the angels were telling the disciples, you have, you have work to do. Don't stand here just looking into the heavens. Keep moving. Do what you're supposed to do. Tell people because He is coming. You have a mission to warn people. He's coming back. Just as you saw Him going to heaven, He's going to come back. Be ready. Be watchful. And spread the message. We read of Paul's rendering of this promise. Beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, sought to dispel some of the rumors and some of the things that the people believed in regard to the coming of Christ. They were afraid that those who had died were gone and they would miss 
his return. That was not to be the case. When Jesus returns, all those who are dead in Christ will rise. We'll all meet him together. No one is going to miss the coming of Christ, especially the faithful. And since we expect him to come, we are to prepare for his coming. Picking up with chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be, and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. We are promised that Christ will return. He will return to receive his own. And we can trust in that promise though it is not yet fulfilled. When Jesus returns, the world will once again be destroyed. But this time, it will be with finality. It won't be recreated it won't be uh, allowed to regrow and, and reproduce as it has. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter three. Let's notice what is said in verses eight through thirteen. Second Peter chapter three, beginning with verse eight. But beloved, do not forget this one thing: that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be <coughs> excuse me, in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
There are many who teach that when Jesus returns that that the earth will somehow be recreated and we'll spend a, a time on earth and Jesus will reign on the earth. That's not what we read though in 2 Peter chapter 3. You see, at the return of Christ, the dead in Christ will rise and will be gathered together to Him. But the earth will be no more. I don't look for the earth to be recreated. I want something better anyway. And we're promised a new heaven and a new earth. The new heavens and earth are new Jerusalem. Heaven, our reward. We read in Revelation 21 of this promise of a new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21 and picking up with verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Picking up chapter 22 and verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river there was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. No one has yet seen this new dwelling. But as it has been promised us, we know that we are able to see it one day. In order to see it, in order to put our faith in God's promises, we must live faithfully. And be seen by God as faithful in judgment. We are promised that when Christ returns, that's what will happen. Matthew 25 describes it as a separation of the sheep and the goats. A separation of the righteous and the wicked. That separation will occur... The question is, which side will we, will we be on? If we remain faithful, these words are promised to be spoken to us. Matthew 25 and 
verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. These words are quoted from the parable of the faithful servant. We're spoken to those who were faithful as they will be spoken unto us. We want to trust in the promises of God. God has kept His promises up until now with the exception of the promises that are yet to find fulfillment. But we can trust in God's promises as Noah did, as Abraham did. As the people of, uh, of long ago trusted in the promises that Christ would come, and He did. We can trust in the promise that Christ will return for us. That there is a, a great reward that is awaiting us at the end of this life if we put our faith in Him. Are you faithful? Are you a faithful child of God? Can you put your trust in these promises? Have you become a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? We know what we're told in Scripture. By faith, we need to be obedient. That we need to repent of our sins, change our lives, confess our faith in Christ, be baptized for the remission of sins. And if we have done that, then these promises of a great reward are for us. We must remain faithful. And maybe it is that you've turned away from God. Maybe you need to come back. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Him. Maybe you need to Take care of some need in your life between you and God. If there's some way that we can assist you in prayer and forgiving you for something that you've done. If there's some way that we can assist you, as we always do, this invitation is offered to you. And we stand ready to assist you. If you'll come, together we stand. And as we sing.